All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ephesians 6 now. Uh, Ephesians 6. We, we talked about last week, you know, I was asked to do a, a, a marriage and, and family uh, conference last week, which was interesting because then I was asked to do another one this weekend, uh, and I wasn't able to do that one, but I thought, hey, apparently this is something that people want to know about. Uh, and as I was getting ready to, to speak at those two things, I thought, you know, this is something that, that our church has never really addressed. We've, we've talked about this. I've talked about, you know, marriage. Uh, for many of you, it was even funny last week, uh, some of you came up afterwards and said, yeah, we'd heard a lot of that before. Uh, we felt like we were in the advanced course uh, because I'd done your marriage counseling or premarital counseling. So it was really, uh, it was really nice. Uh, uh, but so we talked about, you know, sort of husbands and, and wives and, and that relationship. And we talked about how th- this is important because you want a stable home, which is what people will say. But, but it's even more important than your home just being stable. Like we need to, we need to understand our roles as husbands and wives because God has instituted marriage to be a picture of the gospel. And so when your marriage is not right, you are misrepresenting as a Christian home, you are misrepresenting the very gospel that you proclaim to love and serve and, uh, and the Lord who, who has died for you. All of those things that we've, we've already talked about this morning, the, the, the rubber meets the, the road, so to speak, in our homes by the, the type of husbands and wives that we are. Like it's easy to, to sing about how much you love the gospel here. It's easy to love the Lord and to be excited to be a part of his church. But if that's the case, he has given us various roles. He's given you roles, husbands, to love your wives and give yourself up for her. And we looked at the various ways that you're supposed to do that, including bathing her in the word of God. So I would ask husbands sort of just as a check, how many of you can say after reading last week God's command to bathe your wife in the word, how many of you bathed your wife last week with the word of God at, at, at all? Or again, did we go back to the sort of defunct position, which is just sort of, make, you know, kind of making sure that our wife is, is bathed or, or that, that she's taking care, you know, everything's good. Uh, and, and wives, how much did you see your role uh, as submission to your husband? Not as just something that a woman does to a man. Uh, that's not the thing that the scriptures say, but, but what? That that's what, Christ, that's what the church does to Christ. So did you understand your role in the home and try to fulfill that, not out of some sort of just natural subservience or something like that, but because you want to paint a beautiful picture of the church uh, and how the church and you as a part of that are supposed to respond to your Christ. So just as a, just as a sort of you know, check for all of us before we begin worship uh, in the word now and getting the new text. Look at your life last week and say, how much, how much did my life change or how much did I obey what I saw last week? Uh, and if enough hands go up and say, I probably need to hear that again. Uh, you know, we'll go back because we, we don't want to be, we don't want to see God's command to, to treat the gospel a certain way and our homes not change because what we're doing is we're saying that that the gospel is not important enough for me to change the way that I'm living. It would be hard to do any of those various things. Uh, So we're about to get another picture of the gospel. Not just, uh, it's interesting, uh, those who are are in my 
my neighborhood Bible study, we just finished Colossians and we've seen, we saw some of this because the same thing happens in Colossians that happens in, in Ephesians. Uh, we looked at Ephesians 5 last week, uh, husbands and wives, but what Paul often does is in these gospel relationships, he spirals outward. So he'll begin with the most intimate relationship, husbands and wives, and then he spirals outward from that, always with relationships that are gospel oriented. So husbands and wives, then he spirals out to, to uh, children and parents. Uh, which is uh, children and particularly fathers, which is a picture of the gospel, and then masters and slaves. He's not just picking the three most natural, you know, uh, uh, home relationships. Each one of these is explicitly referenced in Scripture as a picture of our salvation and our current relationship with God. And so as the text spirals outward now in Ephesians 6, because it's funny, both in Colossians and in Ephesians, they make a weird chapter break, uh, which is all, you know, instead of just continuing this, this whole list of things, we get a, we get a chapter break here. Now we're going to see not just that husbands and wives are a picture of the gospel, but that so are the relationship between children and their fathers, uh, children and parents, uh, and specifically children uh, and their fathers. So today we're going to look at, okay, we've got the gospel. The gospel needs to take place in our married life, but the gospel also needs to take place in our relationship uh, between the children uh, and the parents, particularly the children uh, and the father. So we'll look at the gospel uh, and the family. Let's stand in the honor of reading God's word and see how, see how Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit, of course, moves us now to consider children and fathers in these gospel homes. If you're going to have a gospel home, this is a relationship that needs to be between children uh, and, and parents, or particularly uh, fathers. Beginning in verse 1 of uh, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you today and God, we ask one, Father, I pray that we will have been obedient to the word that we heard last week. Uh, and that, Father, we are already setting the gospel as chief importance in our home. And that's not just going to be when we're, you know, reading the Bibles in our homes or when our homes are going to church, but when each of us is playing out the roles that you have given us, when we're submitting, not just to one another, but to you, that you've said, this is our task. And we saw that in husbands and wives. And now we're going to see that you have given us a secondary role, another task to play out in this gospel play. And that is between parents and their children. And so, Father, I pray that we would see uh, the picture of, uh, of you and the salvation that you have brought to us, how you have adopted us as your children, and that we would faithfully obey it, Father. Uh, may our love for you and, and for your son cause us to change whatever we have to change in our life uh, to get these things to be clearly seen uh, to us, to our spouses, to our children, to our neighbors, and to the world. Uh, Father, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right, so if our desire is truly for the glory of the Lord to cover the earth like waters cover the sea, that glory of the Lord has to at least be covering our homes, right? It's got to at least be covering where we're at. We can't just project eyes outward and long for the, the kingdom of God to advance if the kingdom is not advancing in the place where the king has put his, his very soldiers. Uh, and so we see here, we looked last week at husbands and wives, and now we're going to look at children and parents, and we'll begin with children uh, because... That's where the text begins. Uh, so we begin with children of the promise. Okay, so when we're understanding the role of, of children and parents here and understanding what's going on, the first thing we've got to understand is, is this children of, of the promise. It says here to start Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. So we are, we know this, we are uh, in Christ. We are now God's children. Uh, I, I say that because that is what Christ came to make us. Uh, when we look at John chapter 1 verse 12, it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, which, which is again important because people are going to say that we're all God's children. And yes, in a sort of, we've all been created by him, you know, sort of way. That's true. But the Bible also says that it is only through the redemptive work of Christ that we are actually made children of God. In other words, you and I are not naturally God's children. It is the gospel that makes us children of God. That's going to be very important for understanding how this is a, a gospel, a gospel picture. We have been made through Christ. We have been given the right to become children of God. We have been, as Paul says, we've been adopted. You don't give someone the right to become something that they already are. You don't adopt a child that is already yours. Uh, so we have become uh, in Christ God's children. And so in the home, in the Christian home, those children, children in godly homes have a responsibility to act out that picture of our salvation. And so after instructing husbands and wives, Paul now turns to instruct the children. And, and I, I got to tell you, I think that's a, it's a pretty, this is, a, this is, I think, along with Colossians and some other, a, a pretty important verse not just for children, but for parents. And I'll begin by addressing us as, as parents first. Now, why do I think this verse is, is really so, an eye-opening passage, it and its sister passage in Colossians? And I'll give you several reasons that I think this combats really some struggles that we have with Christ, as Christian parents and how to think about our kids. How to even think, like, what do I do with these little heathens that you've dropped right into our homes. How is, how is the Bible, you know, sort of teaching us to think about kids by addressing them here? One thing I'll tell you this, uh, one thing that we can learn from Paul and from other texts is the Bible is often far more confident when it comes to our children than, than we are. Uh, there, is, there is a weird sort of trend in Christian parenting, and I say it as a trend because it, is, it, is, it has not been the history of Christian parenting for this to be so, uh, but sort of as a response, uh, maybe an over-response to how things uh, were done in the past where we, where we sort of parent from doubt. Where again, it's as if, it's as if it, 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 our kids becoming believers is really just... Uh, a crapshoot. God might give us kids that are going to become believers. He, he might not. There's no way to really tell. And so because of that, we create these situations for our kids 
where, where our kids almost have to prove that they belong to the Lord, right? They almost have to prove that they, that they belong even uh, to, to the gospel at all. Like how do we, how to have a gospel home uh, in that? So we as parents, we've gotten to the point where we are almost fearful of any desire for obedience in our children to the point that sometimes we Christian parents have become guilty of restraining the obedience of our children because we're not sure that they are emotionally, physically, spiritually, whatever, ready to obey. We don't think they're ready to obey. And let me tell you that the way, the chief way that I've seen this, uh, for us is, uh, where often it is Baptist parents that are sometimes the last people to tell their children about the importance of baptism because they're afraid their kids might want to do it. Where we become, so, so, so we don't tell them. I mean, I remember, this, this, I've done this. I did this. Where we almost didn't tell them the need to be baptized because we're afraid it's going to mess them up spiritually. If we say, hey, the Bible says you need to repent and be baptized. And they go, okay, yeah, I want to do that. Uh, and then we're so, we become so afraid that we don't, we don't even want to tell them, tell them about even being, we're afraid that they might hear or afraid. I remember being afraid that my kids might see other kids getting baptized. Then what would they want to do? They might want to get baptized. Now, let me ask you this. Do we do this because there's any single verse in the Bible that warns us about the dangers of baptizing our kids too soon? No. It's not because we go, well, I don't want my kids to be baptized because the Bible says, you know, if they get baptized too early, if they obey too early, this or that, or, I mean, we've, we've got passages where Gentiles are believing and immediately being baptized. And, and what's interesting for the, imagine if we handled any other command in the Bible, the way we handle that one. For example, I'm not sure my child's ready for me to tell them not to lie yet because I'm afraid if I tell them the Bible says they're not supposed to lie, they'll quit lying and then they'll think they're Christians because they haven't been lying. Or I'm afraid to teach my child to read the Bible because I know a lot of people that say, hey, I've read the Bible. And because they read the Bible every day, they might, they might, they might begin to think that they're Christians because they read the Bible every day. If we don't treat any other, or, or the command, like I'm afraid, uh, I'm afraid to bring my kids to church because I know a lot of people that think, well, I go to church, so I'm a Christian. There's a danger in, in when we parent from doubt to have specific commands where we're afraid to have our children obey them. Where we're afraid to lay out all of scripture because we don't know, because we're parenting from doubt, we don't know what to do with our kids. So one thing I would tell us is the Bible is far more confident with our children than we are too. The Bible, and this is, this is even more clear, the Bible was written with children in mind. The Bible was written with children in mind. Parents, understand this, your children don't need the Bible dumbed down for them. They don't need you to dumb it down. They don't, they don't need it on their level. I, I, I heard that just last week. Well, I want my kids to have something on, on their level. It, we've made up that standard. And normally that standard is born out of more from pop psychology and modern education books than it is from scripture. No one, no one from reading their word is going, you know what? I just don't think this is, I think we need to put something more on their level. 
Look, if you give, if you give your children God's word as God has given it, they can get it. Why? Because it was written with them in mind. It was given. This, this is, this, what does this passage say? Children. It is speaking to children. Again, this is one of the reasons we don't do something like children's church. Uh, it's because here you've got an entire book of the New Testament, an entire book of a pretty heady book, entire part here in Ephesians. And it assumes that this whole book has been written on a level where the children have been listening the whole time and are now specifically being addressed. We know that the Bible, that kids can get scripture. We've seen it, for example, we see it in the life of Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says what? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. I don't know if you know this, but there were no kids Old Testament scrolls, right? Back then. They, they didn't, I mean, they, when they took the kids to learn scripture, they didn't teach them to learn a dumbed down version of the scripture. They taught Timothy the sacred writings, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy had been acquainted with the Bible since he was a child with the scripture as God gave it, not the scripture as someone assumed the children needed to understand it, right? So here God has given us this, but God, I don't, I don't think you understand the level my child's on. So let me give it to him a different way. The Bible is written so that from childhood, children can grasp its truth. So when people ask me, you know, what Bible should I get my kid? Is there a, should I get them this, this children's Bible or that children's Bible? And again, I'm not talking about babies and you're reading it to them. I, again, I would even tell you, even to babies, just read the Bible, like the actual Bible to them. Uh, but but what, what do they need to get? They need to get the word of God. They give them the Bible. Give them whatever Bible you use at home so you can read it and they can follow along with you. But, but the word of God is not going to be above them. The third, another insight that we get from just this passage is that the Bible assumes that children are gathered here with the rest of the church and worship. Again, that when Paul reads this letter, he's assuming that the children will be in there with the other believers. Notice Paul doesn't say, say this to the children. What does he say? Children. So when this letter was read, and whoever is reading it out loud, Tychicus or whoever, and he gets to the point, he doesn't say, hey guys, when you get home or when the children get done playing outside or whatever, this is what I want you to tell them. It just lays out, children, this is what you do. So God writes expecting children to be a, ba- a gathered part of the worship service, not a, not a segmented lesser body. Here is, here is a church having church and the Bible speaks to children as if it expects them to be in the worship. Again, it's not like children back then didn't cry or move around or that it wasn't difficult at times to have them there. It's not like early first century Jewish children just sat there and listened without causing any sort of problem for the, for the parents. But it is expecting that the children are going to be there forth. And understanding the, the, how, how, what this verse teaches us about kids and how to wrap our minds biblically around how to think about our kids. The Bible, or Paul here, the Bible, the Lord expects the children of the church to be hearing this letter, but not just hearing it, 
It expects the children to want to obey what they're hearing. He speaks to them directly as children and calls them to obedience. And this is, again, why I said it the first. This is why parenting from doubt can end up creating a danger. Paul expects the godly children in that church that they can and will want to obey. Now, how can Paul expect that? Did he know something about the Ephesians? Like, look, you can talk to the children in the church of Ephesus, and those are some, they got lucky. Those are some good kids. And you can talk to the children in the church of Colossae, because, again, they're way better than their parents are. Their parents are a little bit messed up in Colossae. They're forgetting the importance of the centrality of Christ. But the kids, man, the kids are, the kids are somehow gangbusters. I mean, this just, this, one, how can Paul assume this? Just, just general logic in how salvation works. Uh, God chooses where he's going to place his elect, where he's going to place his children, and he's going to place them in homes where they will hear the gospel. I mean, there's a reason your children were born in your home of all homes and not born somewhere in some like godless region of Burma, right? There's a reason that your child is there with you. And, and again, the Part of our problem is assuming everything like modern biology and genetics. And it, it, for us, it, yeah, my children are here because the chromosomes from my husband and the chromosomes from me got together and made this person here. That's why they're here. No, you, this child, this person that the Lord has known from eternity past to eternity future, he has placed in your home, this soul, he has placed in your home that he might hear the gospel. There's a reason your kids are here in your house where they'll hear the gospel every day, or should. But there's also great confidence from Scripture in this. The Bible's very confident. The Bible teaches us to be very confident. And I'm just going to give you a couple verses. There are so many. But the Bible teaches us to be very confident about the, the state of our children or their future. Isaiah 59, 21 says, And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. So this is the covenant that God is making with his people. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or what? Or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I mean, there are, there, again, there are numerous passages. What's so, what's so funny here? There, there are no passages that tell us to be fearful of faith in our children. There, the Bible actually encourages, what does the Bible encourage us to have? The Bible encourages things like a childlike faith. To, for us to have faith like a child. But for many of us, we're scared if our children show any type of faith. We immediately look at it. And instead of thinking, wow, this is a type of childlike faith I should have. We go, this can't be real. When the Bible says the faith of a child is the realest type of faith there is. And we are so afraid of it being messed up by a type of parenting that we're not going to do. We're so afraid of it that when our child shows any faith, we squash it in our minds. We don't give praise to the Lord and we even squash it in theirs. I want to obey and we say, I'm not sure you're ready yet. I want to believe. I want to do this. The Bible says to do this. Let me do that. I have faith. I want to do whatever. And we are, the, we are the gatekeepers in squashing our children's faith. The truth is there are numerous passages that tell us that, that 
that we can be confident that we are parenting people that God will bring to faith. And so when we see signs of that faith, we need to know it comes from us being faithful and then God keeping his word as well that we just saw in Isaiah 59. That the word that I put in your mouth is not going to depart out of your mouth and it's not going to depart out of the mouth of your offspring and not going to depart out of the mouth of their offspring. That when we are faithfully leading our children to the Lord and we're talking about the Lord and we're obeying the Lord and we're living a picture of the gospel every day for them to see, you know what they're going to think is awesome and they want to be a part of? The gospel. So for example, uh, look at Acts chapter 16, verse 31. This is, this, you can see this confidence in Paul and Silas while they were in, in prison. It said, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and whom? And your household. Now, I'm not saying that they went and started baptizing a bunch of babies here that had no faith or when they told them the gospel, they were just sitting there or whatever. But here is, here is Paul and Silas are having confidence with a Gentile jailer. And saying, if you believe the gospel and you go and you proclaim it to your home, guess what confidence you can have? You and your household will be saved. But again, they're not coming with it. This isn't even something new in the New Testament. This isn't even something that, that is rightly, well, in, in some ways, it's an explosion of what was already promised long ago. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Very beginning of the life of Israel. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. We know that. Who circumcises our hearts? The Lord, right? That's what's got to happen. We've got to be circumcised, not just in the flesh. We've got to be circumcised in the heart. Who does that? The Lord. But we, we often stop there in reading it. We go, yeah, the Lord's going to circumcise our heart. But who else does he promise? And the Lord will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you, plural, will love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul that you may live. Very beginning of the life of Israel, the promise, God is going to circumcise your heart and he'll circumcise the heart of your offspring. The, the Bible actually teaches us this multi-generational power in the gospel. We already saw it in Isaiah, right? It's not going to part from your mouth, not going to part from your children's mouth or your children's children's mouth. We see the same thing, Psalm 78, verses 5 through 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We look side-eyed at our kids when they want to obey, but here we see the Bible says we should have confidence even in our grandkids. Think about it. Think about what we've seen just in our lives. We have seen in our own personal lives, we've seen the multi-generational impact of sin. And how it ruins families and ruins their kids' lives and then their kids' lives. And you've seen families where the parents are leading the kids into sin. And it's this horrible genealogy of sin. We've seen the multi-generational power of sin. Are we to somehow think that the gospel is less powerful? We've seen how sin can go from parents to children to grandchildren. And we look at that and we say, you just want to get them out of the home. Do we think that the gospel is less powerful than that? 
Do we think that sin is somehow able to pervert not just a person, but generations that follow and the gospel cannot do the same thing? That's the confidence that the psalmist has. That's the confidence that Isaiah has. Why? Because that's the confidence. The Lord said, this is the covenant that I will make with you and with your children. You want to see where we, where we can see this? We've seen this in our lives. What's one of the greatest promises of God besides those that we've seen? What about Proverbs 22, 6? I've heard this and seen this and done this so many times. What does it say? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Here is a great promise from God. And the first words off our lips when we hear this or when people talk about it, the first thing off our lips isn't, praise God, look at the promise he makes. And grab our babies by the face and like kiss them and look like I, I can, this is the hope I've got. The first thing that comes off our lips when we see this promise from God, the first thing is, well, actually, the first thing is to explain it away, not to rejoice in it, not to say, look at this great promise. Our first response is to look at this and go, well, but that's not all of them. Why is our first response not to rejoice in the promise of God here, but begin to explain it away? If I've noticed anything that Christian homes lack, it is a gospel faith in the future of their children, which affects the way they parent their children. Because they don't have a gospel faith that comes from Isaiah and Psalms and Proverbs 22 and all these things to go, I'm going to train you. You're going to want to obey because the Lord makes that promise. He's going to not just you're not again. This isn't this isn't I'm not talking about children getting in on your coattails or anything like that or that you don't have to share the gospel with your kids, but that God has given you these image bearers for a reason. That's why I labeled this children of of the promise because it's speaks to the children of this church about the promises of God as if they are children of those promises themselves. I'm not saying kids are going to get in on your coattails. I'm saying God's going to give your kids coattails. And we've got ample biblical evidence to think that the, the reason God has placed these image bearers in your home is for you to lead them to him and to be confident as you do so. And so then when they show faith and you go, you don't go, maybe it's because they've just heard me talking about this stuff. You go, it's because they've heard me talking about this stuff. And yes, could things go wrong? Yes, if you decided to quit parenting them at that moment, could they misunderstand their baptism? Yes, if you quit parenting them after they got baptized. Could they misunderstand going to church? Yes, if you somehow made them think that going to church made them a Christian. But I assume you're not going to do that. Could they think that they're going to go to heaven because they don't lie? Yes, if you don't tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that all of their sins, if they commit even one, they're guilty of breaking all of it. I mean, there are so many things that you can instead look at the faith of your child and have confidence. Look at your child, raise them up in the Lord and your confidence isn't in them and it's not in you, it's in whom? God. And he has told you to have confidence. So you're not making it up. You're not developing it yourself. This, this Ephesian church could have confidence in their children because God has confidence. And so when he speaks to them, he says, children, this is what you do. Because remember, this is a gospel picture. So he's talking to these kids and saying, this is what you need to do 
in uh, in the home. And so, okay, so that's that was a total aside there uh, for parents because this isn't for parents. Who is this for? It's for children. So it'd make no sense for me to come to a verse that says, hey, children do this, and then spend the whole time talking to parents about how you need to understand your children rightly. I think there is, this is, this is a great deficiency in the, the, the modern church, the modern Christian church that we've got to work out. But this isn't written here to parents. This verse right here is written to children. So children, children, listen up. This verse is to you, okay? So listen. What does it say? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is what God is commanding you, children. If you're here, you're listening, this is the command. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Great news. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long in the land. So children, you are to obey your parents because it is the right thing to do. Now, that's not a great translation. It's the same word as the word justice or the word righteousness. A right, it, is the, it is the righteous thing to do. If you, child, want to bring honor to the Lord, if you want to glorify God with your life, the righteous thing for you to do, not just the right thing, the righteous thing for you to do is to obey your parents and then paul quotes the 10 commandments specifically the the fifth commandment and he notes he's like honor your father and your mother and he even says this is this is the first commandment that comes with a with a promise guys so children this honor your father and your mother obey your parents honor them and god promises to bless you it will go well with you and you will live long in the land children this honoring of parents You're even supposed to honor your parents when they get old. Now, let me tell you this, guys. It's easy to honor your parents when you're living in their house. But you still have to honor your parents even when they're that cantankerous old person uh, that has no, like, you're like, I don't, this is why whenever I have a a child that says, when I'm 18, I'm going to do whatever I want. And I go, well, when you're 18, you better read the Bible uh, because it tells you you can't treat your parents like that. Uh, One of the last conversations I had with my neighbor who was murdered was, hey, buddy, you need to honor your mother and you're not honoring and how you talk to her. And he said, well, well, she, you know, I don't live in her house anymore and I'm a grown up. And I said, well, you sure don't mind her doing your laundry. Uh, and he was like, you know what? You're right. Uh, so even, and where do we get that? Proverbs chapter 23. What does it say? Proverbs 23, 22. Kids, listen to this. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now, you might already look at your parents and say, well, she's already there. Uh, but there, so if, if she's already old, they're already old. You, you continue to honor your parents throughout your life. There's not a moment, guys. It's not like 18, you don't have to honor your parents. It's not like when you move out of the house, you don't have to honor your parents anymore. Children, you obey your parents you, you, and you specifically listen and you do not despise them. Why? Because it is right. Colossians, the, the, the parallel passage to this actually explains it a little more and, and, and puts a different spin on it. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, if, if, you want to, if you want to please God, 
And I know every single one of you, because you, you are childlike in your faith, like we all should be, right? Like, if I were to say, do you want to please the Lord? You say, yes, I want to please the Lord. If you want to please the Lord, guys, obey your parents. Obey your parents. Simple. It's an easy thing to do. If you want to, if you want to please the Lord, obey your parents. But again, this pleasure is not just some sort of happy countenance from God. It, it comes with blessing. We saw that Ephesians 6 says that life will go well with you if you do, that you're going to live long uh, in the land. For the Israelites, that meant a restful life in the promised land. So if you obey your parents, guys, good things happen. Children, obey your parents and good come. And let me tell you, the Bible also tells you this. If you don't, bad things happen. If you don't obey your parents... If you do what is not righteous and you do what does not please the Lord, it will bring on you not good, but evil. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father. So if you're looking at your dad and you're like, oh, I can't, that guy, he's always telling me what to do. And he's, you know, just, uh, and scorns to obey. So God has told us to obey here in Ephesians 6. Let's say you scorn to obey your mother. Your mother tells you to do something and you refuse to do it. He says, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. So see what's going on there. The birds aren't just eating your eyes out. Which, so you obviously are dead, Right? Do not, so if you're comparing the promise, think of the promise in the Ten Commandments. Life will go well and you will live long in the earth. And, and here Proverbs is like, yeah, and if you don't, it's not going to go well. Uh, and you're not going to live long. In fact, the birds are going to eat, and the bird, there will be so many birds that they'll be fighting over your eyes, right? The ravens pick them out, and then the vultures come and take your eyes from the ravens. So birds aren't just eating your eyes, they're fighting over them. There are so many birds over your horrible bloated carcass that they're fighting over them. Kids, bad things happen if you do not obey your parents so don't just look at it and say oh like if it's not enough to think i want to please the lord at least let the 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 damning condition of those who scorn their fathers and mothers let that let that drive you back to obedience as well because if you don't um it's going to be like like some scene from the birds um Again, so kids, so kids, this is what the Bible is telling you today. Guys, this is your command. Listen to your parents, but don't just listen to them, obey them. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It's the righteous thing to do. It pleases God. It brings great blessing to your life. And, and because no one wants to be eaten by birds, and right? that's another reason not to do it. And because your obedience as children is a picture of the obedience of God's children to him. And this is, again, why it's essential for kids to want to do this and for parents not to stop them from doing it. Because your kids have a role in the home, and that is to display this gospel obedience. Uh, and so parents, uh, let, them, let them do that. Children, obey your parents, honor them, uh, uh, parents and even grandparents. You can have confidence uh because the bible the bible tells you uh you can uh man i've got to get to parents now 
and it's 1150. And there are a lot of verses for you guys. Let's go ahead and stop there. Because I want to do it justice and I can speak really fast and I don't want to just do that. Uh, we've seen one picture of, of the gospel here. And, and in that, right, parents, as you're looking at your kids, don't just see your kids as your kids. See your kids as how you're supposed to be responding to your heavenly father. See in your children and their obedience to you. Like it's really easy for us as parents to say, you guys need to do this and, and you need to submit to me and you need to honor me. And I've told you twice. Well, how many of us did the Lord tell us to do something last week and we didn't do it? How many of you husbands had the Lord tell you, hey, this is how you need to treat your wife. You need to love her and give yourself up for her. You need to bathe her with the word. And how many of you said, yes, daddy, and change your life accordingly? The, the danger is just, look, if you don't want your life to end up being someone whose eyes are picked out by ravens and fought over by vultures, we need to be, we need to see in the obedience of our children a lesson for our own obedience. Every time that we tell, and I tell my kids this all the time, it's this really weird thing that we do. I spank them. You can edit that out later for the government. I spank them and then I pick them up and I tell them, do you know why I spanked you? Uh, and they're normally just blubbering, right? Anyway, I'm like, Gideon, calm down. Do you know why I picked you up and spanked you? Uh, his feet are like that far off the ground. But it's really cute. And you can ask them, I tell them, because in disciplining you, I'm teaching you that when you fail to obey me, you're setting yourself up to fail to obey God. And that's a far greater danger. And so I am disciplining you this way to warn you of the greater things that come if you disobey your heavenly father. And then I tell them, and look, you want some encouragement? If you obey me, that's training you to obey God. Uh, and, and, and so all of our parenting has to be in light of that gospel picture that we're trying, because what can happen, what can happen if we don't is this is especially true. And I say, especially because I am a man and I had a male child. Uh, it is especially true when you are a man and you have a, a male child, it is easy for you to think that when they disobey you, it's somehow an affront to you and it becomes all about you. And you get really angry or really worked up, uh, because of whatever reason, uh, if you think that your parenting is about you, you will be far more likely to break the verse that we're going to see next next week, which is fathers do not provoke your children to anger. But if you recognize that what you're trying to do is teach them not just to obey you, although they should, but something greater, which is that, hey, you're a part of a play here. You're a part of a, a, a role that God has given you. And God has given you the role of obeying me. And I have the even harder role, it seems sometimes, of of being a picture of the heavenly father to you. If we, will, if we will make sure that we paint their obedience and disobedience in light of the gospel, 
instead of just how it's going to make people think or feel about us, right? I doubt that when you were in the grocery store and your kid was throwing a fit and you got really frustrated, it was because this is not a great picture of Jesus and his church. You know, I doubt that's why. I doubt you were like, this is really teaching people a wrong way to view God and his children here. It's probably was, I'm embarrassed. You're embarrassing me. And because our minds weren't on the gospel picture and what's supposed to happen, uh, we probably didn't handle that situation as well as we could have. Certainly not in a way that taught our kids more about their heavenly father. Uh, And so parents recognize your kids have that gospel role children realize you've got a gospel role in the home your job is to portray the children of god as god's children should act so if all of god's children acted like you what would god's children look like would they look like the new israel or the old would they look like the israel that is jesus christ Or would they look like the old grumbling, complaining Israel that wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years? What picture of God's children are you painting in the home, kids? And parents will get on what you do next week as we look specifically at fathers and their roles in in leading their kids as well. But parents, make sure as as you're disciplining your children, you're pointing them toward that picture of the gospel in in the home. All right, let's pray. And then next week, we'll finish this up as we'll look at uh, the next verses in Ephesians 6. Father, just as a parent, it's very easy for me, God, to come to these verses and to walk away just thinking about the joy that they give me as a parent. Just the fact that you address our children and the promises that that is built off of throughout your word that we can have great confidence in in the kids that you've given us. And Father, that, that, that motivates us to be faithful. To be faithful, not because we're afraid if we're not faithful, we'll mess it up. But to be faithful because we know our faithfulness is tied to your promises. And to see and rejoice and marvel in the great work that you're going to do in our children. To see that these are indeed arrows. That they are a blessing. And so that, Father, in light of what we're supposed to do, that we would sharpen them, that we would sharpen them and sharpen in our teaching of them the picture of the gospel that they're supposed to have. So, Father, give us wisdom. We want to rightly lead our children. We want to paint that gospel picture. And Father, I pray for these kids here today, God. Father, that you would show them that you are speaking to them in your word. And if they claim the name of Christ, if they want to please him, if they want to be righteous, then Father, they they need to obey their parents. They need to honor them. And that blessings come when they do and curses come if they don't. That they have the great responsibility, Father, of painting the picture of Christ's church, of the children of God. So may our homes not just be good homes. May they be gospel homes. May our kids just not be good kids. May they be gospel children. Children of the promise. Children 
that you have promised us. We thank you, Father. And we know that we can only do any of these things, whether it's us or our kids, we can only do any of them because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.